How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome to another episode of Hawaii Football Final here at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello. I apologize for the voice that I have this week, although uh, I'm sure that the voice that I have every week isn't much better, but I know you guys are going to have to bear with us on this one. Uh, lost my voice, but we're going to get through this. Joining me shortly will be former University of Hawaii player and coach, 11-year NFL veteran Rich Miano and former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman, 2016 Ben Yee Award winner R.J. Hollis, where this past Friday, the Rainbow Warriors fell to 0-2 on the season with a 37-24 loss to Stanford as the Cardinals spoiled Hawaii's home opener before a spirited 13,000-plus at the newly renovated Clarence T. C. Ching Athletics Complex where mistakes and miscues continue to provide a roadblock for the Bows to break through here in 2023. I will get into all the details, but before that, let's hear from head coach Timmy Chang. Here's what he had to say following a second straight loss to a Power 5 opponent to open the season. That definitely, uh, it definitely killed some drives of, on offense. Um, you know, I think there's three, three, three and outs to start the game. Um, and then, and just uncharacteristic things. Uh, a couple targeting penalties in there. Um, I thought the second one was a hard, kind of hard luck. Uh, some personal fouls, roughing the passer that kept drives alive when, you know, we, we were feeling a little momentum. Um, you know, I, I thought we could move the ball on them a little bit. Um, once we settled down after uh, the first three drives, and uh, yeah, you know when we watch these films, and usually the case, it's a, it's a breakdown somewhere, you know, and then you know it's a, it's a play where one person breaks down, and next play another person breaks down, and we all kind of take turns breaking down instead of you know being on the same page, being consistent, you know, and I, and I think you know that's where you know um, you know some of the some of the youth in these guys kind of show up. You know, um, playing for the first time, um, and 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 then just getting on the same page. So as 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 they get as they get the continuity together, as they get as they watch themselves on film, understand. I mean, you know, these are these are not easy opponents, um, but I think with with understanding what they can do and how they can do it, and just kind of growing and learning from it, you know, um, I think I think it'll be I think it'll be okay. All right, now I want to welcome to the show, Rich Miano. RJ Hollis and guys, um, believe it or not, I didn't scream all weekend. I wasn't in bed sick, but somehow this is this is the voice you get this week for Hawaii football final. And I gotta say, anyone who spends the next 45 <laughs> to 50 minutes with us, you're a true fan. We appreciate it, right, Rich? No question, bro. Dr. Death, bro. It matches your whole New Orleans get up, bro. And you know what, Rob? I kind of like the new version. Yeah, you know, um, I don't know what that. I don't know if uh, if that's a good thing or not. That I somehow sound better than I usually do. <laughs> you sound like a, one of them old school uh, late night DJs for one of the R and B radio stations. That we're gonna slow it down. We're going to take it back old school. And for the people that are listening to this on Spotify, that actually is Rob. Like, I don't know if they can't see him visually. I'm probably here to be like, that ain't even him. I'm like, I'm like the knockoff Batman, right? <laughs> but, hey, let's get this show going. The less of me talking, the better. So let me set you guys up. 
despite another 300-yard passing performance from quarterback Braden Shager, 10 penalties for over 100 yards. You had a number of sacks allowed on junior quarterback Braden Shager, a negative rushing yard total. Those appeared to be the headliners in Hawaii's loss to Stanford on Friday. And so, Rich, I'm going to give you the floor and take me out of my misery. Biggest takeaways from this loss as Hawaii falls to 0-2. Yeah, Rob, you kind of hit on it, right? This was a game that I thought was kind of teed up for the Warriors, and they just didn't respond in terms of, you mentioned some of the things, where we had drop balls, numerous drop balls. We had sacks. We had bad tackling. Uh, we even uh, had some some questionable going, not going for a field goal, uh, going for two when you could have went for one, making it a one-score game. So I think this is one of those things, Rob, where everybody has to become you know smarter, more detail-oriented, more fundamentally sound. And I think this coaching staff knows that it starts with them, but everybody needs to be accountable and uh, be demanding because – this was not a great performance. You expect after the week one, the whole axiom of you get better, the most improvements after game one. They took a step back, and I'm not sure it was a giant step back because this Stanford team was legit. They were well coached. They had a man child at defensive end at number 23. They're schematically on offense. What they did was very sound. They were great in the kicking game. That kicker was maybe one of the best I've seen in college football. So, That was a good team. I'm not sure how many games they'll win in this powerful pack, whatever you want to call it. But Hawaii did not come out to play. And it was a travesty because it was teed up in terms of how they played against Vanderbilt, making improvement, home opener, which was we'll talk about that later. But that was a great first home opener in the newly renovated T.C. Ching. So I know that every each and everybody on that Warrior staff and players does not feel good like they did last week. RJ, uh, your biggest takeaways, and and it's interesting because I want to talk about this later too, where the University of Hawaii played a game, right? That that Vanderbilt matchup was uh, a game that you go into it and you're predicting, okay, I think this is what Vandy's going to do. Vandy's saying, I think this is what Hawaii's going to do. And then you take them on a Stanford team with a brand new coach, only five returning starters, and you have to guess what Stanford's going to do where in return, the Cardinal pretty much knew exactly what Hawaii was going to do. They had a four quarters of tape to look at. And so I want to get Rich's thoughts on that in a little bit. But uh, RJ, your biggest takeaway from this game as Hawaii dropped 0-2. Um, yeah, my, my biggest takeaway is that Stanford respected what... Oh. Stanford respected what the University of Hawaii was able to go and do in Nashville. Um, you know, I said it last week in Hawaii football final. There's a beauty and a burden of having good performances when you're coming into the following week because you could tell that Stanford respected and that it was just a almost must-win type of scenario for them. The offensive play calling was almost, you know, phenomenal. I don't want to put it at such a pedestal, but they did exactly what they needed to do. They knew what they were facing. And then on defense, you know, that number 23, his name's David Bailey. That was a top 10 recruit out of the state of California as a defensive end. And one of his offers was Alabama. So, you know, they have guys, they got former 
Punahou Buff and Blue standout, Alakai Gilman playing for them. So they had guys, and, you know, Stanford definitely was probably the better team, even on paper. But once UH put up that performance and almost went down in Nashville and beat Vanderbilt in their own house, a SEC team, this is a team in Stanford that has to go on later to face teams like Colorado and teams like USC. So this was a game they had to win, and I think, you know, not only the mistakes that UH made attributed to this, but I think once they put that game against Vanderbilt on film, Stanford almost immediately knew we cannot disrespect these guys. We can't take it lightly. And you could tell that during the game, Stanford was actually excited to be beating the University of Hawaii, not looking at them as just some step over. So I think the beauty and the burden kind of came. The beauty was last week in having a good foundational game, but the burden was this week in having mistakes and having a team that on paper is pretty much better than you in Stanford, really wanting to beat you and really having respect for what you're doing. And it showed uh, this past week. Yeah, Rich, RJ brought it up about the, the film that Stanford saw respecting this Rainbow Warrior football team. And so how much of, of an advantage was that for the Cardinal to be able to see what this 2023 edition of the Bows look like? Yeah, I think it is an advantage, right? But I also think playing one game is an advantage too. So that kind of, both of those were interesting uh, aspects coming into that game. But, you know, Hawaii to have really make negative five yards rushing, take away the sack yardage and stuff like that. And Stanford having 158, I think it was. To me, Stanford won both sides of the line of scrimmage. And, and that determines a lot of outcomes of football games, right? We talked about drop balls. I mean, Tyler Hines, he had two drops. You know, we'll talk later about him. Chucky Hines had two drops, the deep ball before the half. Even Profeli Ashlock dropped the ball in the end zone, you know, so. And I think defensively, the inability to cover a, a tight end, and, and that tight end was big time. That's a, maybe the first or the second best player on that football team. And Hawaii has struggled with tight ends for years, especially with run-and-shoot type of defenses where you don't see that, you know, the big guy going on the seam, posting in the paint, all those type of things. So there were some things that, as RJ mentioned, that Stanford did well. Stanford did have some horses. Alakai Gilman was the best safety on the field, and that was a little surprising because, you know, uh, Peter Manuma, as well as Meki Pei, are good football players, but that, that that kid's a heck of a football player. So they they were schemed up. You know, they, they did a nice job. RJ mentioned they didn't take this game for granted because Hawaii was a legitimate threat. But Hawaii, again, did not perform up to their standards. And I would love to have sat into some of those meeting rooms because they're a better football team than that. And I, and I think we'll see it this week and into the Mountain West Conference. Well, let's go over some of the numbers from this University of Hawaii football loss to Stanford this past Friday at the Clarence C.C. Ching Athletics Complex. Braden Shager goes 30 of 53, 355 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He was sacked six times in this game by the Cardinal. As Rich mentioned, the the overwhelming power of that Cardinal defensive line winning at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball was overwhelming at times here in this ball game. When you look at the rushing total that goes and bleeds into that, Tylen Hines, five carries for eight, uh, a net of five yards. So that's one yard per carry for Tylen Hines, a guy that averaged seven yards per carry last season. Solo Vipulu, one carry for four yards. Braden Shager, 10 rushes. He's accredited to, um, as we know, six sacks. He had a net of negative 14 yards because of that. He actually had a couple of, of rushing first downs in this game, but he was under pressure all night long. 
Ophelia Ashlock, eight catches, 114 yards, and two touchdowns. The leading receiver, Kuali Nishigaya, six catches, 52 yards, his biggest game of the year so far. Alex Perry, four catches, 43 yards. Stephen McBride, who had the big game in week number one with two touchdowns against Vanderbilt, three catches for 40 yards and one touchdown. That touchdown was impressive. Um, as you mentioned, Alakai Gilman for Stanford, he led the way with seven tackles for that Cardinal team. But as far as the University of Hawaii goes, Logan Taylor had nine tackles. Elijah Palmer in his first start, the true freshman from Bishop Gorman, had seven tackles. Jonah Kahahavai Welch, Cameron Stone, Peter Manomaw, all with tackles for loss in that ball game. And so, guys, Let's start with the mistakes and the miscues. That's what we talked about last week against Vanderbilt, that if you clean that up, you probably win that game on the road against an SEC opponent. Here they are against a Power 5 opponent yet again. Mistakes, miscues, missed assignments led to a lot of what we saw, those six sacks. You can talk about the drops that Rich Miano brought up. Um, Rich, when you go back and you replay this game in your head, Are these new mistakes? Are these new miscues? Or is this a pattern of what you've seen through the first two weeks? Well, there are some patterns and there are some first-time type of errors. Penalties, way too many penalties, although I thought this was a poorly officiated game, and I don't mind saying that. Um, I thought that Mekki Pei, uh, personal foul. Now he's thrown off the next game. I hope that's reviewed nationally or by the by the uh, league itself, because to me that was not uh, a, a, a helmet to helmet any type of uh, th- play where you throw out a guy. Also, also, the other one wasn't malicious, but it was helmet to helmet. So for Isaiah Tufunga to get thrown out of the game, I understand that. You know, I want to interrupt you real quick because I want to ask you about that. That's been something that's come up a lot. The personal fouls should it come with intent? Right, because you look at John Tuitopo, uh called with roughing the passer on a third down, would have gave Hawaii the ball. He swipes for the football, misses, hits the quarterback in the head. That's roughing the passer, right? Meki Pei and Isaiah Tufanga both called for targeting and ejected from the game. But when you look at both of those plays, those guys aren't coming in to target. It's the ball carrier almost turns the play into targeting by how they react to the play. So is that a bigger discussion that targeting uh, unsportsmanlike conduct, roughing the passer, these things need to be looked at through the referee's eyes with, did this have intent or not? I think a hundred percent. It really bothered me on Mekki Pei being thrown out of the game for that. It bothered me on John Tuitopo as well, because again, he barely brushed the helmet. Is it a rule? Yes, but there has to be intent. You go to the video board and you throw this young man out of the game, and now he's out for the first half of next week as well. There was you couldn't tackle any other way without pinching a nerve in your neck. You John's basically just brushed the helmet barely. It's not going to hurt a young person. Um, it wasn't malicious, wasn't egregious. I just think that these officials are ruining football games. And I know how hard it is to, you know, these boom, boom type of plays, but those aren't boom, boom plays. Those are something you can look in the video monitor. You can get buzzed down from uh, above. We need to protect quarterbacks. We need safe football, but we can't have officials ruining these football games and ruining these young men who are just trying to play physical, not trying to play extremely violent or malicious. RJ, were you surprised with the amount of pressure that 
was brought on to Braden Shager in this ball game against Vanderbilt. He was pretty comfortable back there. He also got the ball out very quickly against the Commodores. In this Stanford game, I mean, there were times where if you had a clock, I mean, he's he's looking for receivers for a good six, eight seconds. Um, and, uh, you know, part of that goes with the six sacks that, that they were able to tally up on the Stanford side of the ball. Uh, were you surprised by, A, the uh, lack of being able to hold up the line by the offensive line, but then also the amount of sacks that were tallied up because Braden Shager wasn't able to make a decision and took a sack? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely was surprised by that. I mean, like I said, uh, Stanford got a dude in David Bailey. I think he was a top five recruit out of the state of California. Uh, 24-7 sports ranked him like a 97 four-star recruit or something like that. And I actually had to look it up because of how many sacks dude got. I'm like, man, who is this guy? But it wasn't purely just him beating guys. There was blitzes that weren't picked up. There were plays that wasn't slowed down. That one uh, very important fourth quarter blitz, you got a guy blitzing from the nickel and the running back or that up back just doesn't pick it up. And, I mean, he sees him, he comes up to him, but then he gives up a swim move and then he just beats him. So it was a little surprising. I think the run and shoot, you know, as far as I've been told, is a offense that kind of runs itself, sees everything for what it's worth. So for me, I feel like if you've already had that, understanding that hey we're coming out here and we're looking for everything what do we see what's coming i feel like there shouldn't be too many blitzes that catch you off guard because you should be able to see in the coverages who's coming i remember even when i was at uh there was a couple times i would pull the nickel back off this you know stunt and say hey just walk up to the line because i see a safety standing right over top of you and the other guy's already covered so unless you guys are wasting two defenders on one guy you're bringing this blitz i think more guys have to have those type of lenses where you know hey we can't just look at the dbs and the coverage and see what's going on what's going on in the box why is this safety walking up so far he ain't that fast to be walking up like that so he got to be doing something so, you know, there was both types of sacks where the offensive line was just getting beat. But I also think blitz pickup and blitz, blitz, blitz recognition, excuse me, should be something that kind of automatically comes with that form of offense where we come up and we have to see what the defense is doing anyway. So, yeah, you're going to be beat. You know, I said it in week one, those offensive tackles are going to have a lot of pressure. 53 drop back passes. That means 53 one on ones. You got to win over 52 of them. So, you know, at the end of the day, that's just the difficulty that comes with being an offensive lineman that always has to block or being a quarterback that has to see things for what they are. But if they can't fix those mistakes and they're facing a team like San Diego State, they do some of the craziest blitzes. And if you can't pick those up, it's going to make it a long season. So I think not only looking at what they do in coverage as far as the run and shoot goes, there has to be more of a pickup of paying attention to what's going on in the box, looking at blitzes, looking at different coverages and how they change them and being able to pick that up and block accordingly. Because like you said, there were some plays where my man could have had a lazy boy and ate a hot pocket. I mean, he's back there and he's clean, but then there's still a sack coming. So there just has to be more of an understanding, in my opinion. I do think six sacks was a little bit much. Even having a good defensive end, I think there should have been more of a pickup, some sort of help, and I think that's going to be something they're going to work on going forward.
Yeah, hey, Rob, I'd like to just chime in real quickly because I think this is an important thing, right? As RJ mentioned, I was sitting with Jesse Sapolu, or standing with him uh, pretty much that whole game, right? And so there was some inconsistent protection. You mentioned there were times where he had plenty of time, right? Some of that is uh, obviously just uh, 23. I mean, just beating somebody one-on-one. But he also ran over the back a couple of times. And, uh, you know, so they need to work that as well and get themselves. That's when Solo Vaipulu wasn't in the game playing running back. So they need to work on that as well. But it was also because this back end, and you mentioned having the film the week before, Dwayne Aquino recruited these guys. These guys were pretty athletic in that back end, so they locked up a lot on, on Hawaii's receivers. So this was a much better secondary. So some of them recovered sacks. Some of them, Brendan uh, Shager, held the ball too long. Some of it was just, you know, they did a lot of stunting up front. So this was a well-oiled defense for the first game of the season, and uh, things should get easier as they play Albany and get into the season. But, uh, yeah, there was, there was just sometimes consistent pressure, sometimes – it was just a matter of uh, th- that defense was was very good. This might be a silly question, Rich, but there was a couple of situations where <clears throat> Hawaii went forward on fourth down, um, and and Braden Shager took a sack. Right, I know one one was a little bit in the red zone, one was a little bit further out, and in that situation, would you have liked to see Braden just throw it up? Because, I mean, the worst thing that happens is it gets intercepted and that's like a punt. Or do you admire that there was nothing there and he wasn't going to force it because ultimately, hey, that pick could turn into a pick six, right? And then and then you're in a world of trouble. Where do you lie in where you'd like to see your quarterback in that decision? Whether it's a two-point conversion, whether it's going for it on fourth down, and it's all or nothing. I mean, you're either going to give this ball up on a turnover down. Um, you know, that's one option. The other is you take a sack, right? I mean, by and they get the ball or trying to just put it up there. And maybe your guy pulls down with it. Where, where, where do you lie in that situational quarterback play? I mean, I think part of that schematic part of it is situational. You know, if, obviously, if it's before the half. It's as good as a, like you say, I mean, it's the last play of the half, last play of the game. It's a desperation. You got to throw it up. And whether that's a 50 50 ball or not, you got to give yourself a chance. There are other opportunities, obviously, not to take the sack and lose that yardage and throw it out of bounds. And then there's that other opportunity where you mentioned that, hey, you got to throw this up and believe in your receivers. Uh, it, again, I, I really think that this secondary, they were long, they were athletic, they were locking up. And, you know, if you don't see what you think you're going to see. So, and again, some of it is schematically offensively. They need to make sure that when they go for it on fourth down, there's a play. And you watch that's what they Hawaii calls in the run and shoot, the go play. They had that cover to perfection where they kind of number two and number three rub and three sits down and kind of moves away from the linebacker. They watched that play, and Hawaii went to that uh, well again, and they had it covered, and it was a fourth down situation. And they did, then they turned into a scramble play. They covered the scramble play, and, and Braden took a sack. So give some credit to this defense. I'm not sure we'll see Troy Taylor offensively, defensively, what they did first game of the season. They may not have some of the athletes that Oregon has or USC has or Washington has, but I'll tell you one thing. They were extremely well coached, pretty well disciplined, and uh, Hawaii's going to see an Oregon team in two weeks that's more athletic. But that was a well-coached team. So I give them some credit, Rob, but there are different scenarios. And again, I think Shager overall, 
played a very good football game. You take away those drops, especially those deep ball drops, whatever else. He made a lot of good decisions. And uh, a lot, it's this this program, it was well documented today in some of the media or whatever else. Don't give up on this team. Just because they lost to Stanford, this is still a good football team. They just have a lot of mistakes to correct. Again, the UH football team loses 37-24 to Stanford. They're now 0-2 on the season. They're 0-2 against Power 5 opponents. And this week, they'll be facing off against Albany of the FCS. That is Saturday, 5, 6 p.m. at the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex. It will be the first game for the Spectrum Sports Broadcast, which we are all a part of. So uh, either get down to the Ching Complex or check it out on TV. All right, let's talk a little bit about Tylen Hines. We brought him up as far as um, just the lack of production here to start the season. This is a guy that really burst onto the scene as a freshman on the back end of the schedule uh, because he didn't get very many opportunities early. And then once he was given those opportunities, he made the most of it. He was named the captain in the offseason, and a lot of big things were expected out of him here for 2023 but so far two games at Vanderbilt nine carries 15 yards against Stanford five carries for five yards reception wise he had one catch for three yards against Vandy two catches for 28 yards against Stanford RJ how concerned are you with this slow start by Tylen Hines and how much of it has to do with everybody saw what we saw at the end of that season and is that if this Hawaii offense can get the production out of Tylen Hines the way that they were able to towards the back end of the year and then you add on to the run and shoot with that better receivers uh, a better more evolved offense that this would be a very dangerous team and so how much do you think that his number being circled highlighted blinking uh, whatever you want to say uh, is leading to the lack of production um, yeah, I, I would, you know, say him not being used as much. And it's kind of going to go against what I said last week about using him less to give him more opportunity. But I think now you kind of got to start force feeding him. Not only do you got to start force feeding him because this is one of your most electric players. And that's been said numerous times out loud. But as we all know, the best running shoots work when the run also works, even in that, you know, 2019, uh, bounce back of the run and shoot you had miles bam bam reed you had dayton Faruta. you know you had uh freddie holly and other running backs who were able to contribute and you know no disrespect to any of those guys but i don't think any of them have the explosiveness of a tylen hines the speed of a tylen hines so you know at first it was kind of like uh, maybe if they just let it develop, don't force it too much, some things will happen. But, you know, as we can see, that lack of repetition, that lack of trying to get him the ball may affect the way he plays. And for a guy who averaged seven yards per carry, you definitely want to be able to utilize him the best way possible. So I think this week against Albany would be a great chance to start figuring out ways to get more touches to Tylen Hines so that come later in the year, we're not just trying to, you know, like Rich said, keep going to that well of go balls to Ashlock and go balls to McBride. You want to be able to still have your run game be viable. So you got to figure out a way to get Tylen Hines the ball. And I think um, right now, just the, the lack of reps and the lack of being able to do it, if it keeps going, it might affect the way he plays. And Rich, you it's, know, inter it's interesting, Rich, because RJ brought up 
that Freddie Holly, Dayton Furuta, Miles Bam Bam Reed, right? And and you can go uh, over a lot of the run and shoot running backs over that time, right? Even going back to the the previous incarnations of this offense, whether you're talking about Avion Weaver, Nady Lawa, Reagan Maia, um, Kealoha Polaris, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Now, the difference is those guys were all strong blockers, right? And so when they're on the field, defenses know that, okay, this guy's a strong blocker and he can do this craziness on the field. Tylen Hines hasn't been the best blocker. And so that's why you have Solo Vipulu in there. So does it become a hindrance? Because when you do have Tylen Hines on the field, a defense could be like, well, they're trying to get him the ball, right? Because they know if it's a if it's a pass protection situation, well, then number zero is going to be in there. Uh, how much do you think that serves as a hindrance to this offense? Yeah, Rob, I think there is a tell with him in there, although I think that's why you need to continue to work him in the slot and in the run and shoot offense to me. The slot is the most dangerous receiver. You know, Thailand dropped a swing pass, so they're trying to get him the ball. I mentioned that last week, 10 touches. They almost got him 10 touches. He dropped a middle screen. He's just pressing because these are simple catches. He's taking his eyes off the ball. He's getting his eyes upfield. He's a better football player. Than he's going backwards. He's dancing too much. Now, there's not a lot of seams against power five teams in terms of inside zone, outside zone, you know, that kind of running in terms of just straight handoffs. So it will get better against Albany. It will get better against the Mountain West. You know, they, they'll, they'll be better in terms of their run game, right? And he has gotten more touches. And I think the offense will continue to try to figure out ways to get him the ball, whether that's jet sweeps, whether that's bubble screens, hitches, smokes, the things we talked about. He had a couple kickoff returns as well. He almost found a seam one time. Trust me when I tell you, he hasn't lost explosiveness. The guy's back squatting 500 pounds. He is still a great football player. He's pressing too hard. He needs to relax. They got to continue to get him game uh, involved in the game plan because he is, to me, one of the most explosive players Hawaii has had in, in, in decades. And so th th this thing is going to develop, whether it's organically or not. It's going to happen. Tylen Hines is too good of a football player to continue with these numbers. Now, Rich, we all talked about it last week about – Despite a loss, positive steps being taken for this University of Hawaii football program with how they lost and how they performed against Vanderbilt of the SEC. Now, I think expectations have changed because of that, right? We talked about that last week as well, yes. where a lot of people entered this game thinking, hey, this was Hawaii's chance to beat Stanford. If you're going to beat Stanford, this is when you had to do it. Kind of like in 2003, where if there was ever a time for the University of Hawaii to beat Alabama, it was in 2003, you had to do it then, and they were able to do it, right? Um, now, with that being said, this was not as good of a performance as it was against Vanderbilt. I think that's pretty clear. But did this team still show you that this is a better University of Hawaii football product than it had been in previous years. Do you walk away thinking that this is still a team that could be dangerous in the Mountain West Conference, or was this a situation of one step forward, two steps back? No, it, it was definitely a step back, Rob. And like I said, I don't know if it's a giant step back because I think this is a better Stanford team than uh, the, 
Vanderbilt was. And, and I also think it was better coached. And, and it was one of those games where I'm not saying it's an anomaly, but there were still tremendous bright signs for this football team. I mean, Pofeli Ashlock, I mean, continues to show that, you know, he's on pace to have some record numbers as a redshirt freshman. You know, Carson Papuno made, made a great catch off that tip ball. You had guys like Kowali Nishigaya, maybe with one of his better games. Um, I, I thought there was, again, good quarterback play. As, as much as, you know, some people still continue to think that Braden Shager is not the guy. He is the guy. He spun it well. He made some good decisions. He had a bunch of drops that would have put him upwards in the 60s, the mid-60s, as well as over 400 yards thrown. He had two deep balls that were dropped. The one for Stephen McBride, even though it was good defense, went right through his hands. And then the other one that was right, uh, uh, Chucky Hines dropped. Chucky Hines needs to adjust to that football. That's another good throw. That's a deep ball touchdown. And there were other balls that were dropped as well. So I think protection will not see a front like this Oregon yes let's let's just leave that game out of the equation but I think when they continue to work with Roman Sapolo and they get, continue to work on this protection get better protection from their running backs uh with this quarterback with those receivers with the running backs as as we get back Najee uh Bryant as well as you know Landon Sims got hurt this football game they you know I think solo set Vipulu should get two or three carries, bro. It keeps people off balance, and he's going to hurt some people physically in the second and third levels. So I like that. I think defensively, they weren't as good as they were maybe against Nashville. You know, they weren't, they didn't win the line of scrimmage defensively, but that's still a pretty formidable front with with good defensive ends that are playing better. That's still good linebacker play uh, with both those guys, Isaiah and. Uh, my 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 man uh, Logan Taylor, and, and and I have all the confidence in the world in the secondary. Uh, I special teams will I think we'll have some kickoff returns and some punt returns I think punting and kicking still is a little bit not where it should be but at the same time I think this team and again it's I'm overflowing with positivity here but this team can compete for a Mountain West championship if they get better if they're passionate about learning if the coaches are hard on them if they really want to be a successful team the athleticism is much better I think the coaching took a step back as well but I think this coaching staff is very capable and I'm, I'm totally still 100% on board with what these athletes can do if they're put in the right position RJ Rich brought up something about this athleticism on this roster I think when you look across the board this is a, a talented football team when you stack up the the starting 11 on offense the starting 11 on defense I mean this is up there with good UH football teams as far as the talent that is on the field. How concerned are you, though, that that next element that's needed to take the next step is the confidence that you are going to win a football game, the confidence that everyone that you face is in danger, right? And and it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to believe it. And you are a part of football teams that – in the Norm Chow era that that struggled with that, that was very talented. And, and, and retrospectively, when you look at how good some of these football players were, you know, whether it be Jelani Tavai now in the National Football League, you had other transfers that left and um, really, really good football players that contributed for the Nick Rolovich era, yourself included. But it was believing that you were going to win that game was something that you guys did not possess yet. Does it concern you now through two games of getting close 
right? Of, of feeling like Hawaii's about to turn the corner, but then walking away still with losses in the column. And you look at Timmy Chang, who's now three and 12 as a head coach. Are there any concerns there? Or do you feel like this is a team that should still remain confident and they should believe that they could beat anyone that they face? Oh, I believe I believe 150% they should still be confident. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking that any analyst in America wrote UH 2-0 when they looked at their first two games of the schedule. Nashville shocked pretty much everybody, maybe even some of the people inside of that locker room. But once they left that, I don't think I've ever heard Timmy Changer, now that I think about it, any coach besides Chris Naole in his first interview, drop an F-bomb or a cuss word explicitive while they're trying to pump up their team and make their team more passionate. So, like I said in the beginning of the show, Stanford respected what University of Hawaii did in Nashville. They came prepared. It's one thing when teams don't respect you and you get the opportunity to hit them in the mouth. It's a totally different thing when these teams know who's coming to play. I would take that fact and that aspect alone to still have the confidence going forward that like rich said if we really buckle down none of these penalties none of these stupid calls we could compete in the mountain west potentially for a championship stanford respected us we made stanford and vanderbilt respect us in two in really one game and in the second game, Stanford came prepared and we unloaded a clip in our whole foot. So I think those facts just on the ground as they are should let you know that, hey, when we start facing Nevada, when we face San Diego State, when we face San Jose State, is it going to be a cakewalk? Obviously not. Can we just show up and win? Obviously not. Can we get 100 penalty yards and win? More than likely not. But if we are able to fix these mistakes, if we're able to get Tylen Hines in it, if we're able to remove the penalties, if we're able to understand these blitz pickups and become the team that we can versus teams who aren't going to be better than the first two teams we play, I don't see no reason why you shouldn't be confident. But it's one thing to believe it, it's one thing to say it, but it is a totally different thing to actually step on that field and do it. So... Even if you do believe it, even if there is confidence, hey, there could be all of that in the world. But come Saturday, come game day, we only have what you leave on film. Rich, when you look at this yeah. defense, this is a defense that, as you've brought up numerous times, they they have the athletes. The scheme works for this team, yet not able to collect any turnovers here the first eight quarters of play. And this is a defense that really entering the season, you probably thought was built to turn the ball over. What do you see there? I mean, is it just one of those situations where it just hasn't happened yet? Or does something need to be dialed up to try and force the hand a little bit in trying to take the ball away? Yeah, I, I thought they took a step back, Rob. And you mentioned, you know, the first week, I thought they did well in the line of scrimmage. I thought they tackled better uh, for a first game. You know, obviously you miss tackles in every game. There's no such thing as a perfect football game. I When, when people say, like, they got to play perfect, I'm like, there's no such thing. You know, so, yeah, I, I, they've got to take it away. And whether that's, again, really emphasizing those in everyday drills in terms of strip drills and, and punching the ball out and uh, 
you know, taking it away uh, through the air or whatever else. The fact they have zero takeaways in two games. There wasn't a lot of tackles for losses. There wasn't a lot of sacks this 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 game as well. So it has to be frustrating. And whether that's schematically where Jacob Euro has to bring it more, where there has to be more pressure, where they have to rely on those corners to, you know, bring an extra guy in the box and take away the run. They couldn't get off the field. Some of it was their own fault with penalties, right? But they got to get off the field. They got to take the ball away. They got to give it to the offense. The thing about run and shoot type of offenses is you're going to be on the field longer than you ever have played. That gives you opportunities for turnovers. That gives you opportunities for sacks. You know, Elijah Palmer played a great game at that nickelback position. He's only a true freshman, right? They've got the guys up front. I mean, when you talk about Kuao Pehopa, John Tui Topo, to me, that is a formidable you know, whether you're playing an odd front or even front, those guys can play, right? And I and I still think Andrew Choi is going to give you, you know, bring out that lunch uh, box and lunch pail and give you an honest day of work. Jonah Kahavai Welch is better. The linebackers are better. The secondary is better. You know, they've got three corners, right? You see Jojo Forrest alternating in there along with those two other cornerbacks, Cam Stone, who I thought played really well this game better than the last game there's a lot of bright spots on this team but i think it's more mentally rob i think it's more in in the belief that we're good enough to attack defensively we've gotta and timmy chang has to have that attitude and june jones had it all the time hey blitz if you guys give we give a big play we're going to score on offense but we can't bend but not break we've got to be an attacking style of defense we've got to turn the ball over we got to hit people we got to gain green defense get people to the ball we we've got to be one of those defense that are stripping and, and all of these things have to come forward for this to be a great team and win a mountain west championship we've been talking about offense so long it's run and shoot run and shoot run and shoot no we got to start talking about defense taking the ball away getting out of there you know in three and outs and uh, just hitting people and, and ha make it, having fun. Absolutely. Well, we're having fun here on Hawaii Football Final, despite the sounds of it, as I say that. Um, I, I got to say, before we move to our helmet stickers, uh, I want to give a big ups to Steven Sai, the Honolulu Star Advertiser, who gave me my Golden Girls Rose Nyland mug that I have tea in here uh, tonight. Um, and so, uh, much mahalo to, to the guy. Uh, I, I wish the tea was helping a little bit more than it is. Uh, but let's go to our helmet stickers. Let's have me not talk, uh, for a little bit. So RJ Hollis, who gets your helmet sticker, your MVP for the weekend. It doesn't have to be the game, but rainbow warrior pride sticker, the UH with the rainbow, as we made clear in week one of Hawaii football final, that's the pride sticker, the greatest logo in sports history. Who gets it? Well, I think for this week, uh, you know, I, I kind of got to take something off your social media and I'm going to give it to the student section. Um, I seen when you were posting and I seen a lot of people posting that student section and it was lively. And for me, it's always been, and for a lot of former University of Hawaii football players, it's always been a dream to be able to play on TC Ching because you knew that you would be able to play in front of a student crowd like that. It is hot as all get out at five o'clock. So God was with them. because Boy, but you know, the student section definitely showed up and showed out and uh, got to give them this early pride sticker. And I think later in the um, season, they might end up getting another one again, if they could keep coming out like that. Well, I'll tell you what, after a loss, if they come out in force the way they did for that game against Stanford, I mean, I think we all give them pride stickers. I mean, because that place was packed. 
And they were there like two and a half hours early to get their seats. It was fantastic. It was something that, like RJ mentioned, that people have been dreaming of for years and years. And so, yeah, congratulations to the student section. They really showed out on Friday. That was quite impressive. Rich Miano, who gets your pride sticker? Yeah, normally I'm not intimidated when you let Stephen A. Smith go first, but Skip Bayless normally has the anecdote. He, he normally is uh, something that's going to come in from left field, right? But I'm going to go with the game day experience. I'm going to go with the student section, the alumni honoring the Satellis. You, you know, the Nogas, the Confenses. There's so many great families that have played football at the University of Hawaii, but that's Satelli clan led by Alvis who was a heck of a player. And then, you know, when you look at like the Villy-like intro, you know, those guys did a nice job with the drums and the, you know, the entrance to the game and the new scoreboard, the food trucks, the fact that they actually run out of tunnels now because there is a tunnel, you know, I'm just thinking like, hey, and I was never a proponent for an on-campus stadium, but who knows how long this stadium is going to take to build. So thank God that we almost look like a college football stadium and it's getting closer and closer and the game day experience is getting better and better. Billy V did a good job. The music was good. You know, just uh, having the students, having the alumni, having that place was ready, bro. That was a, it was ready to ignite, Rob. It was just, and then the offense started slow. The defense didn't take the ball away. There was some, you know, obviously some good points as well, but that stadium's ready to blow up, man. And I hope they come out in Albany too. So I'm with the helmet sticker for the game day experience. That's awesome. You know, uh, I was going to give my helmet sticker to Elijah Palmer. True freshman getting his first start out of Bishop Gorman and having an incredible game. Uh, we talked about it as far as the, the big hits he had in that first quarter, really set the tone for the defense early, ultimately not able to get the dub. Uh, but what he did to kind of create that environment, too, with the student section going bananas every time he made a tackle, because with every tackle came this insane celly, uh, celebration uh, with with his seven tackles. Uh, so Elijah Palmer was going to get my pride sticker. Um, but the more I thought about it, I need to give it to anyone that has listened up to this point of this episode of Hawaii football <laughs> final. Knowing that I've been, my voice is getting worse as this thing goes on. And you've had to listen to me this whole time. So if you're listening to this segment right now, you get my pride sticker. Much I apologize to Richard and RJ for having to go through this as well. But uh, much hey. mahalo for all the support, everybody, for uh, tuning in to the hey. football final. Dr. Death, one last thing, too, because, you know, <laughs> we, normally, we, we normally do the game, right? So we, we don't get to experience this stuff. My boy, Kanoa Leahy, was up in the luxury suites. Nobody invited me into the luxury suites, Kimo Kai, uh, Craig Angeles. So I had to, like, rough it on the field with Jesse Sapolu. But he said the luxury suites were luxury. The food was good, whatever else. So but you know what? I got to give props to the University of Hawaii for just getting that place ready. And, uh, you know, all-around props to anybody that put that thing together. I love it. Our lo Dr. Death approves that Dr. message Dr. by Rich Miano. Well, <laughs> Let's now move over uh, to the Hawaii football final mailbox. Uh, we got a few questions and then we're going to hell on out of here. But the first question comes from Kyle who is asked. And it's funny last week we were asked, why is Cam Stone returning kicks when he's not the fastest guy on the team? Right. This week, Kyle's asking why risk Cam Stone's health? Who is your best player on the football team? Why put him out there on kick returns? And so um, RJ, I'm going to let you answer that as far as, you know, this isn't the first time you see a really good football player that's valuable to your team, whether it's on offense or defense returning kicks. 
I mean, heck, some of the greatest kick returners in program history, Chad Owens, Matt Harding, Mike Edwards, right? I mean, those guys were all super important to this football team. Um, RJ, do you see an issue with Cam Stone? And by the way, Cam Stone uh, tweeted out, uh, yep. Good. not going to miss significant time, a knee hyperextension that he suffered in that game against Stanford. Um, one would expect maybe he doesn't play against Albany unless you need him, but, but that'll have to be wait and seen. But uh, your thoughts, RJ, on Cam Stone returning kicks? Uh, I think Cam has done what has been required of him to become the starting kick and punt returner. And, you know, that's a very important position because you talk about muffed punts you talk about dropped returns you talk about guys not being smart enough to take the fair catch or being too eager to get out of it you know uh another good returner that was very important to a team 2015 nick nelson uh before he transferred to the university of wisconsin was one of I was the best corner on our football team, but was well punt returner because not only was he smart, he was also very electric. So I think, you know, Cam Stone just gives the special teams coach the confidence that we won't have any mistakes in our uh, return backfield. So far, so good. I get the point of, you know, you might worry about him getting injured, but at the same time, if I don't think I can put somebody back there that's going to make the smart choice, I, I got to get the smartest guy in there. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Kyle. And, Everybody, uh, I'm not going to go through the whole how you send in a question this week, all right? If you know, you know. Um, if you don't know, tune in next week, and I'll tell you uh, how you can do this. Right? Yeah, or um, go back last week. Go back last week. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go hit rewind. Um, Aloha Maid is asking this question. Uh, Rich Miano, what's the logic behind going for two down 11 in the football game? Timmy Chang made that decision. A lot of times these guys have it on their analytics sheet as far as a this time left in the ball game down this. They ultimately did not get it. So they're down 11. If you kick the field goal or you kick the extra point, then you're down 10. So a touchdown and field goal ties it. Now you need two touchdowns to get past that, right? And so what what are your thoughts as far as why make it nine and have that opportunity for the two point conversion when you could have kicked it and made it 10. Yeah, Rob, that, you know, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Timmy Chang and I didn't see much, uh, even in his inaugural year, his rookie year being a young head coach last year, there wasn't many times where I second guessed him, whether it was going for it on fourth down or whether it was going for two versus one. I, I thought he uh, really managed games well last year. That, that was a little questionable, not kicking the field goal. And I forgot what yard line it was, but it was a very makeable kick earlier in the game was questionable, you know, and you can do that. And, and he is kind of a riverboat gambler, which I don't mind guys going for it, but there, there are analytic charts that tell you when to go for it or not to go for it. So, you know, I, I, I think Timmy probably, just like everybody else on that staff, just like every football player in that room, did not have a perfect game and, and needs to continue to get better. So, yeah, I think that was a mistake on Hawaii's part. I think most people that understand football think that was a mistake. And uh, he needs to continue to try to, you know, be a guy that's aggressive and show confidence in his offense, show confidence in his defense. But at the same time, you know, let some of the analytics play itself out and uh, make more conservative decisions moving forward. But again, this is one of those games where they were heavy, you know, not heavy underdogs because they played so well, but a game that they're up against a superior competition. But uh, so I think Timmy will learn from this and uh, he's a, he's a really good young coach and, you know, I've, he's got all my support and 
I'd love to hear what he says about this. But at the same time, hey, bro, keep going for it. Keep being aggressive and keep being Timmy Chang. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, I think the feeling changes, too, based on who you're playing. I think everybody understood that for Hawaii to win this game, everything would have to go right. You'd have to play or a near perfect ball game to exactly. walk away with a win over a Pac-12 opponent. So when you put yourself in those situations where if it doesn't go right, you're behind the eight ball against a team that's already superior as far as a roster goes, as far as, you know, it being a power five opponent, that's just a really tough pill to swallow. I think for a lot of people who watch the game um, where, I mean, cause Hey, you know better than anyone rich that if all those things work out, then it's like, Oh, brilliant. I mean, this guy, help manufacture this victory right Right. but if it doesn't go right now you're already behind the eight ball based on playing the competition that you're playing and then behind the eight ball even some more and so it makes it tough just very little room for error when you're playing in that style right yeah and and the you know protocols rob and, and how it works in when you're down there on the sidelines timmy's so involved in this offense timmy's so involved with coaching receivers and quarterbacks and the offense and everything else he has somebody, whether whether that's Thomas Sheffield, the associate head coach, whether that's Ian Shoemaker, uh, whether that's Jake Euro, somebody needs to be in his ear constantly and, and allowing him to, hey, coach, if we get four yards and this is going to be fourth and two, we're plus 50, let's go for it. Hey, if we score right here, let's go for one. So he needs to make sure that he has somebody that he trusts, somebody that he's on the same page with, because that man is not only selling tickets and kissing babies, bro, he's doing a lot of the offensive coaching as well. So from a protocol standpoint, you know, they'll get that all straight out and, and I'm sure they'll be aggressive when they need to be aggressive and be conservative when you need to be conservative. Right on. Well, Stephanie asked about the chain complex upgrades and experience. I think we touched up a, a little bit on that already. So we're going to skip that. Mahalo though, Stephanie for sending it in. Um, and the last question here, Grave Walker's asking is Pofeli Ashlock the best freshman receiver this program has ever had? I'll say this statistically, no freshman playing in their first two games has ever had back-to-back 100-yard receiving performances. Pofeli Ashlock is the first, which is hard to believe in this run-and-shoot era of 15 years of the run-and-shoot, that it had never been done before. Before. We've had great freshmen, Devon Bess, Chad Owens, towards the the, the end of his freshman season. Um, Pofeli Ashlock statistically is putting himself in that conversation I'll just say this before I pass it on to you guys. It's it's two games of a 13-game schedule. I think this is probably a conversation that needs to be had at the end of the year as far as is he, is he the best receiver, uh, freshman receiver in program history. But R.J. Hollis, what are your thoughts? My, right, you literally what you just said. That, yep, run those last 12 seconds back. You know, hey, it's two games. What he's done as a freshman – Proves he could be deadly, and he's setting himself up to set history. But I think we should be talking about this, you know, around Nevada and Wyoming and Colorado State. I will say this, Rob, and I've talked to Greg Salas about it because he kind of reminds me in terms of that size. You know, he can still put on some muscle, continue to be more explosive. But he is an accomplished young man. He is very Physically, he's gifted. You know, he has the athleticism. So it's really the ball is in his court. And we've seen guys continue to work hard and improve on their game. But if he's around for four years and he's passionate about catching as many balls as Devon Best, because nobody caught more balls than Devon Best 
before practice, during practice, after practice. If he continues to have a guy like Braden Shager that's going to distribute the ball to him and he wants to be a great one, he'll be up there because he does have the athleticism. And that's why I have tremendous confidence in this football team because when you look at Stephen McBride, when you look at my guy, uh, uh, Alex Perry, when you look at Jonah Pinocchi, he hasn't even played yet. Kowali's coming on. We know what Tyler Hines can do. We know what this quarterback can do. And I think the protection is going to be fine. This team has a, the ability to have some really good numbers, and a lot of these kids are young. All right. Well, much mahalo to everyone who sent in questions to the Hawaii Football Final Mailbox. Um, again, tune in next week or tune in the previous episodes to find out how you can send in those questions. Um, we're going to close this thing up, but before we go, I'm going to ask the, each of you, and uh, Rich, you can go first. RJ, I want you to take it after Rich. Based on what you've seen so far, through the first two weeks of this University of Hawaii football season, 0-2 against two Power 5 opponents. You've had some good. You've had some bad. You've had some ugly. What is it that you need to see out of this Hawaii football team Saturday against Albany, 6 p.m., Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex? Simple fundamentals, right? They've got to hit. They've got to hit through contact. They've got to wrap up. They've got to, you know, be in the right gap. They got to be responsible on defense. On offense, they got to protect. You know, they've got to be able to run the football. They weren't able to run the football. Special teams got to clean some things up. But you know what? All the pieces to the puzzle are there. It's up to the coaches to me. I think the coaches need to make sure that these guys have great practices. They, they pay attention to the fundamentals, the details, their assignments, their alignments, and then they got to go execute. And we're going to be looking for some exciting football the next bunch of weeks, other than that Oregon team, which is scary. Yeah, alley ooping right. I'm piggybacking right off of what you know OG just said, man. Y'all gotta go out there and execute, do everything the right way, do everything proper. And if you do that, it should be a whooping. It should be a team going out there, putting up a very impressive number, keeping the student section happy, and letting the Mountain West know that hey, when we get back around the uh more equally matched teams when we go up here and face these ducks and come back y'all better be ready too because we're gonna have something for you you got students out there two and a half hours before the game give them something they can celebrate about all right well, there you go the university of hawaii football team returns to action saturday 6 p.m against albany clarence tc ching athletics complex it will be televised on spectrum sports pay-per-view radio on espn honolulu Hey, for real, everybody, much mahalo for sticking through with us here on this edition of Hawaii Football Final. I'm going to go uh, gargle some asphalt and hopefully uh, get through this here pretty soon. But Don't do that. Do not do that. <laughs> Trust, what you need to do, Rob, is go to your You need to go to your other job as your rock, the rock, rock and roll DJ, bro, because that's what you sound like. You smoke too many packs of cigarettes, bro. Go, go, oh, go. Hey, frozen gogurt tubes. That's what the best thing I'm telling you. It'll All get right. Back well, hey, luckily I have children and I actually have that. So I'm going to go pound some of that right now. But for RJ Hollis, Rich Miano, I'm Rob DeMello. Much mahalo, everybody. This is Hawaii football final. We'll see you next Monday. Have a great week. Aloha. <laughs>